You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. Well, good morning, church. That wasn't much of an intro, but we'll, we'll have one next week for you. How many of you are ready to listen to me share something with you this morning? Yeah. Actually, uh, David Wallow, a student of ministries uh, director, was going to speak today. Well, he's up in Wausau with his daughter, Anna, and uh, David are up there with Jayla, who's dealing with a viral infection. So been up there for a couple of days. So we've been joining our faith and praying for them. So uh, keep them in mind this morning. So he was going to minister on Noah. But I'm going to talk about Jehoshaphat. So you're going to find out something. Actually, the title of the message this morning is Battle. There it is. Uh, we're going to talk about the battle. A battle is any conflict or struggle that you may encounter. And all of us have battles, and it's, they may vary in significance or degrees, but yet we're dealing with situations that afflict us, that cause discomfort, that challenge us many times to the very core. And we see in the Word of God, in the Bible, how God has given us, a, we could say, a recipe or a remedy to deal with battles that we face in this life. And so this morning, uh, I do have uh, something I came across. Uh, there was a, a, a young boy that was uh, with his parents at a restaurant, and, and uh, his mother was eating this green salad with all the good stuff in it. And, and so the young boy said, Mommy, do caterpillars taste good? And she said, well, uh, what are you talking about? He said, well, you just ate one in your salad. It was there, and now it's gone. So, yeah, well, a little protein. <laughs> yeah, I didn't pass that one by my wife before we... Humor is one of those things that it either goes over or it doesn't. But, um, yeah, maybe I didn't share it like it was supposed to be shared. But anyway, on with the message this morning. I think it's time to pray. Before we pray, I want to read uh, 1 Timothy 6.12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm reading out the uh, English Standard Version. And here we see a passage, I believe that's a classic by the Apostle Paul that really uh, meets us right where we're at in our life. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the, con the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's join our faith together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. And we thank you for the ministry of your word. We thank you that Jesus stated that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Help us today to grow in depth and understanding in revelation of the truth of your word. And Father, we thank you for Jayla. We thank you for her full recovery. We pray that you continue to give the doctors wisdom. Father, we pray for strength for Anna and David during this time. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. All right. What we're going to talk about today is um, facing our battles. Um, and you might say, well, I never have a battle. Well, then you're not living. 
because uh, there's battles we encounter every day, and yet God has victory for us in the midst of our battles and the struggles that we're facing. And when we ask, we need to ask ourselves the question, whose battle is it? Because often we take ownership of the battles, but we need to recognize that the battle really belongs to God. And if somehow we can involve God in dealing with our battles, there's a certain victory that we can anticipate that we can receive. I want you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20 because we're going to spend uh, pretty much the bulk of our time this morning looking at this particular chapter. In this chapter, uh, the narration of this is, is intriguing and, and always, to me, has ministered encouragement because of what I may have been facing at the time that I actually read this through this passage. But it, it says things that I believe establish, establishes truth that we can really lock into so that we can uh, find the help that we need in the time that we're facing the struggles that we're going through. It starts out, we see this dilemma is imposed upon the nation of Israel. And at the time, uh, King Jehoshaphat is the reigning king, and he was a good king. Uh, the scripture speaks highly of him. He was a king that did right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed after God. He was sincere in his, his faith, and he had a passion for really bringing God into the nation of Israel and maintaining a, a consistency in following the Lord. And so we see this dilemma plays out uh, starting at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. And I'll read, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, all these ites, and with, some, with them some of the Menites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazaron Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Verse 3, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim the fast throughout all Judah. Now realize they're facing a national crisis. Now you might wonder, who is Edom? Uh, the Edomites were the descendants of Esau, which was Jacob's brother. And these were a people, because they were basically an offspring of Abraham, when they were coming into the promised land, God said, leave them alone. Uh, don't, don't attack them. You know, they're kind of little distant relatives here, but don't mess with them. But now this very people that they spared in an earlier period of Israel's history, now they're coming under attack by these people. And so they're facing this great multitude that's coming against them, and the king is afraid. And guess what? It's okay to be afraid uh, because there's times we all deal with fear, but in that moment of being afraid, we can connect with the God who can eradicate fear and allow faith to begin to move in our life so we can be positioned to receive victory in what we're facing. Verse 4 goes on to say, And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So now we have a national effort on the part of the nation of Israel to really press in and seek God because they're facing this enemy that seems to be undefeatable. 
And so they're at a loss as far as what they're to do. Now, let me just say this, because when we're facing a battle, often we need to realize that instead of just going by uh, what we think we should do, I recommend you involve God in his counsel in the process, because he may want to speak into that situation. But so often we exclude God from our life and we think, I can get this, I can handle this, I'm good. But yet here we see a people, uh, certainly they had an army, they had a defense system, and they could have responded and reacted like most nations would in this kind of crisis. But they took time and they saw the importance of seeking God, getting his input on the situation. And then going on in verse 5, as this story plays out, it says, And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court, verse 6, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand and power and might, in, in your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Now here Jehoshaphat, he knew his history. He, he studied history, and I'm, I'm sure he got good grades in history. How many of you get good grades in history? I wasn't necessarily a fan of history, but I was always intrigued by it. But yet, this man, he knew how God had prevailed for the people of Israel in times past. And he is calling to mind God's faithfulness to the nation. And as he's seeking God, he's, he's calling to mind and bringing people to, into remembrance of that. And so, uh, there, and, but I want to share this morning with you from this whole passage of what we see playing out here in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is three things that we can say when facing a battle, that we can say about facing a battle. We're facing a battle. What, we can, what can we say about that? What can we speak into that? And so we want to give you these three things, and hopefully this will help you maybe in the battle you, you're dealing with right now. See, I don't know everything about you. Some of you I know better than others. But the crisis you're dealing with has not gone unnoticed by God. He's totally acquainted with you in all of your ways. He sees and he knows. He knows the ins and the outs. There's nothing that escapes his attention. And, and so he's wanting to pour into your life. He wants to come alongside and make a difference in what you're dealing with. And you might say, well, uh, God doesn't want anything to do with me because I've messed up big time. That's not true. You know, you may have some big mess-ups, but you have a God who knows how to fix up your life and, and, and deal with those messes that we've made. You know, I, I think of, of times when I go into a situation, you know, growing in, in our home, we had kids that knew how to make a mess. And, you know, toys everywhere, you know, just, okay, when it's time to clean up. Very often it was mom and dad having to uh, organize that cleanup effort, you know. Uh, but, but we knew how to fix things up when they got totally out of order. And see, as parents, hopefully in your household you can do that when you encounter a mess that one of your children have created, right? Now, we as God's children have, have made many messes, right? 
but yet God knows how to clean up those messes. And so um, let, me, let me begin by sharing the first point here. What can we say about facing a battle? Number one, when you don't know what to do, keep your eyes on the Lord. When you don't know what to do, keep your eyes on the Lord. As we continue to read on in verse 12, 2 Chronicles 20, 12, Jehoshaphat again is praying. And, and in his prayer he says, Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. See, in this situation, Joseph didn't know what to do. But yet one thing he made clear, he said, our eyes are on you. You may not, not know what to do in the present situation you're facing right now. But keep your eyes on the Lord. Look to him because he wants to bring the help that you have need of. Now, there's a scripture in the New Testament that parallels with this in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, it starts out, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Notice verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this is speaking of the trial Jesus went through in going to the cross. He faced this cross, this horrible situation, but yet even we, no matter what we're facing, we need to keep our eyes on him, knowing that he endured something horrific for us so that we can look to him because he'll get us through what we're facing right now. You know, Peter, uh, he's the only guy that I know that walked on water and it wasn't frozen, okay, other than Jesus. And, you know, he was able to do something impossible as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. But when he took his, fo when he took his focus off Jesus and he observed the elements, he watched the waves, he looked at the waves and uh, he experienced the wind, he began to sink. Many times we begin to sink when we take our eyes off of him. So we need to understand when facing a battle, it's important that you keep your eyes on the Lord. You need to look to him. And you might say, well, how do I look to him? Because maybe you're in a situation that, that God is kind of distant from you, that he's not uh, that close uh, person that you can encounter in the daily life in your daily life, but know that he can be. He can be. The scripture tells us if we, if we draw nigh to God, he will draw near to us. See, he's not going to impose himself upon you, but if you reach out for him, he's going to come to you and he'll meet you. And so uh, I'm in, I encourage you to, to look to the Lord because he is available to help you. He's, he's a great help in time of need, okay? Now, um, going on, number two, I'll give you a second point. How about that? When facing a battle, what, what can we say about it? 
recognize whose battle it really is. Recognize whose battle it really is. Because many times we think, well, this is just my battle, but it's not just your battle. Because you need to understand that what concerns you concerns God. And he's concerned about you. So he takes, he makes it personal. What you're going through, he makes it personal. Uh, the scripture tells us that Jesus is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. So that tells me that your infirmities are not just yours, they're also his. Because he connects himself with us because he knows that what we're going through, that he can make a difference in our lives when we connect with him. So in verse 13, as we continue in this narrative here in Second Chronicles, it says, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. So the, the whole family, they just, okay, God, what do we do in this crisis? Verse 14, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah. So we're, here we're getting a, a lesson in lineage, okay? The son of Jeel and the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. So this guy's heritage is played out. So this guy, apparently, he's a credible voice. I mean, when this guy speaks like E.F. Hutton, everybody listens, okay? And so, uh, what's this guy, Jehaziel? He, he has a word, okay? Um, and he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Wow. What we see here is, is God claiming this battle. And, and so the message to the people is, okay, we have to give this battle to God. It's, it's not our battle to face alone. But we can give this thing to God because he's claimed this battle as his own. Wow. And, and you know, I say, you know, isn't it wonderful when God is on our side? But uh, you need to make sure he's on your side. You know, and, and, and so uh, God's on your side, but also you must be on his side. And so th this is a pretty amazing thing when we see God claiming this battle as his own. And, and, and really, I believe because of his passion, and his love for you, he wants to fight your battles. He wants to be involved in helping bring victory when you're facing battles. Now, as it goes on to say, uh, yeah, just let that sink in for a moment. Lord, you've claimed this battle. I've been struggling on my own to try to deal with this thing, but you've claimed this one. So what that means is you need to let him have it. You need to release it to him instead of trying to do it on your own. And see, this is where humility comes in, where you admit, okay, God, I, I need your help right now. See, I'm not afraid to ask God for help. You might say, well, that makes you a weak person. No, that, that makes me a wise person. Because I know that if I ask him for help, he's going to become more involved with my life. Because I want him more involved with, with my life because he's going to make a difference in my life. And if he makes a difference in my life, then I'll make a difference in the lives of people around me. 
See, really, whatever God does in us is not just for us, but it accomplishes something in us so we can help others, so we can make a difference in the lives of other people. So number three, uh, the third point here when facing a battle, what, what can we say about battles that we face? Get in position. Get in position. There's a position we need to establish in our life. It's a position of faith. It's not a position of fear. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 16 and 17, as we continue this narrative, it says, tomorrow go down against them. Okay, so here this army is out there. He said, okay, this is what you do. Go against them. Really, God? Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Okay, we're going out against this enemy. We're not going to have to fight. Come on, God. I, I need more help here. It says, stand firm, hold your position. Uh, the King, New King James says, position yourselves and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. In other words, don't be in fear and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Okay, so here we see we need to position ourselves. We need to face the battle. But know that we don't face it alone. So often we think, I'm, I'm dealing with this thing on my own. No, you don't have to face it alone because he's with you. You're not standing alone. See, there's times I think people go through things and they feel so separated from people, so separated from God, so isolated, and they're dealing with issues. But yet God wants to get involved and he wants to help you through you're not isolated. That's, that's a lie. You don't have to be isolated. You don't have to face this thing on your own. Now, verse 18, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So, the response on the part of the people was worship. They began to praise God because of what God had said. He told them, okay, God's going to fight this battle. They need to position themselves because God was going to give them victory. They were going to see God's salvation witness right before their eyes. And so what we see here is a mandate to praise your way to victory. To praise your way to victory. Because this is what essentially happened in verse 20. And we, I, I like to call this 2020 vision. Second Chronicles 2020. This is the kind of vision you and I need in our lives. And they rose up early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. So there's, we see components there for success, components there for victory. First of all, we believe in the Lord. We put our trust in God. And then we put our trust in what his prophets have said. 
And let me tell you, the, the Bible is full of, of many promises, many words that were spoken by prophets concerning God's promise for you and for me. And these promises are real. And, and if we put our trust in the Lord and believe what he said, we will succeed. Now, this is what happened there in this situation. They had to, first of all, believe what Jehaziel had said, that you're not going to have to fight in this battle, that this battle is the Lord's. He's taken ownership of it. He's claimed this battle for his own. And so he's going he's gonna to fight this battle for you. But yet, you aren't totally exempt. You have to position yourself. You have to take your place and take your stand because there is something you have to do, but you do your part, and God's saying, I'm going to do mine, right? Sometimes we want to do God's part. That's where we get things messed up. Um, so this is how they approach this battle. Now, as far as tactical warfare, you know, I don't think a modern-day military would probably subscribe to this type of uh, strategy to win a war, but it worked for Jehoshaphat. And because God was on their side, okay? Uh, so we see here in verse 21, and when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. What? Okay, we're going to battle. Let's put the worship team out front. <laughs> Let's put them before those that have the guns, those who have, are driving the tanks. We're going to put the praise and worship leaders before the army. And we're going to sing this song. And the phrase they were singing, we see right here, for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And they're out there. Okay. Can you imagine those worship leaders now? They're approaching this army. And they don't have weapons other than the weapon of praise and worship. And yet in the spirit realm, you need to understand that worship is a weapon of warfare against the enemy. It's a weapon against fear, against doubt, against harassing thoughts in your mind. There's times, and if I'm dealing with confusion or frustration, I'll just begin to worship God. And it seems like the cloud of confusion and all that junk begins to lift and the peace of God is, is established in my heart. And so praise is a weapon that we can't ignore. And we see it played out here in this uh, narrative through uh, this time in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now let's see how this thing continues. Verse 22 and when they began to sing and praise, I mean, they just started, okay? They just started the, the worship service here. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction, and when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. In other words, there was so much confusion in the enemy's camp that they destroyed each other. See, the enemy will destroy himself when God is involved in the battle. 
And we can see this played out, I mean, in, in different uh, parallels when we see that, you know, it, it's important to understand that uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God pulling down strongholds. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not people, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness of this world. So there's unseen forces that we're dealing with. And that's why so many times people have a hard time uh, in their struggle because they don't realize that there's an unseen enemy that they're dealing with in their life. And so we, we see this as, uh, for, for the Christian, we understand that there's an enemy we don't see, but this enemy influences people. And so it's the influence behind people that we have to go after or that God wants to deal with. And so in verse 24, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked towards the horde and behold, they were, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and the people came to take the spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, precious things, and they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. And so here we see a great victory that went down in the archives of the nation of Israel. Israel. Uh, concerning this particular battle that God took ownership of, that God claimed for his own. Now, there's more we could say about this, this whole scenario, but we want to now relate this to where you are at, to what you're dealing with in, in your life, because you may be facing a battle right now, and, and the struggle, you know, we can't always... Uh, realize and identify maybe with the struggle that somebody is going through, unless we've gone through it ourselves. But yet, we serve a God who can totally relate to you in the present struggle, in the present battle, in the present dilemma. And I want you to know that Jesus has victory for you. He's promised victory for you over the battle that you're facing right now. And that battle might be a, a stronghold of fear in your life. Or you may be dealing with uh, emotional upheaval in, in your life. Uh, you may be dealing with uh, a financial crisis. You may be dealing with a marital crisis. You may be dealing with a relational crisis with someone. You may be dealing with just insecurity. You may be, who knows what you may be dealing with, just uh, uh, depression, oppression, different things that basically afflict mankind. Sickness, disease. Like, you know, mankind, since the fall, has been under affliction. Because of the curse, because of man's initial rebellion, mankind has come under affliction throughout the generations. That's why Jesus was sent. That's why a Redeemer came to restore humanity back into right standing with God. That's why Jesus came to seek to save that which was lost and to bring health and wholeness and redemption to human beings. Not just here, but throughout every generation. Now in the Old Testament it was different because they looked forward to the Messiah that was promised. And they put their faith that, God, you said you will send a Messiah. And we trust you and believe that 
that Messiah will redeem humanity. And now we look back to when Jesus died on the cross. We look back when Messiah came, lived his life, and gave himself for us to die for our sins on the cross. In John chapter 12, verse 46, the scripture here is Jesus is speaking, and he said, I've come into the world as light, so that what that whoever believes in me may not re remain in darkness. I'll read that again. I kind of messed it up a little bit. John 12, 46. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. See, God doesn't want you in the dark. He wants you to be in the light. When you're in the dark, many times you're just uninformed. You're ignorant. Things happen and you don't know why because you're in the dark about it. Darkness also implies in a place of separation, in a place where you're blinded, where you can't really see what's really happening around you. When you're in the light, I, I don't know about you, uh, if you're walking in a room and it's dark, there's an opportunity for you to bump into something. It's an opportunity for you to trip over because you just don't see what's in front of you. Jesus wants us in the light. He wants to light up your life. He doesn't want you to remain in the dark. That's why Jesus came, to give you light, to give you, you see, without light, vision doesn't function. Your eyes cannot function unless there's light. And so God wants you to see. He wants your eyes to be open. You know, you, we've heard the expression, when I saw the light. When we, it dawns on us when we begin to see and comprehend what's really happening. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, he's declaring who he is. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, many times people think, well, there's many ways to God. I I'm sorry, there's not. You know, people that subscribe to that kind of idea are pretty messed up in their thinking because they're going in every different direction thinking, okay, is this the answer? Is that the answer? But we find that Jesus is the answer. And he confirmed and has proven that he is Messiah because he's the only religious leader, if we, if we use that as a, as a phrase, that was ever raised from the dead. And so he, he proved who he was because what he said came to pass. And he fulfilled some 700 prophecies that were written about him before he was ever even born. And not only did he fulfill those prophecies, and, and there's some yet to be fulfilled in his return because he is coming again. The first time he came, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to die for our sins on the cross. But he's coming again. And the second time he comes, he's coming to wrap everything up. He's coming to bring a new heavens, a new earth, He's coming 
to bring us to himself. And I'm, I'm looking forward to his second coming, but I don't want him to come until we've reached more people on this earth so we can be ready for his coming, ready for his appearing, because he is coming again. I want you this morning to bow your heads for a moment, and, and we want to give an opportunity for you that are here this morning to come to know this Jesus. And not just to know about him, but to know him, to know him in a personal way, to know him in a way where he is real to you. Jesus is more than just a concept. He's more than an idea. He's a real person. And he wants to make himself real to you. At the age of 17, being raised in a denominational home, I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. And I thought I, I loved him, but I didn't know him until my older brother shared the gospel with me and showed that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus, that he would become real to me. And when he, when he shared, he was sharing because he had experienced and had an encounter in his own life with Jesus. And that encounter changed him, and I was so intrigued by the changes in his life. I said, you're not the same person you used to be. And he said, that's true because Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and he's changed my heart, he's changed my life. And so he prayed that night. This was many years ago. Some of you weren't even born yet. Uh, May 22nd, 1974. I'll never forget that night. That was the night that I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And when I prayed that prayer, something changed on the inside of me. And there was almost like this sense of, of, of God invading my heart. And there was a peace, there was a presence that I hadn't experienced or encountered before that day. And that encounter changed my life forever. And as I reflect back upon that, I knew that was a place of beginning, that was an, a place of origins for me to begin my journey and my walk with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I can't really say that I know Jesus like that. I can't really say that he's, he's personal in my life. I believe that he existed as a, as a uh, figure in history, but I don't know that he's real to me. And the invitation for you this morning is, would you want him to make himself real to you? And you might say, well, how does that happen? It happens by invitation. It happens by you inviting him in, calling on his name, believing in him, and confessing him as your Lord and Savior, receiving the forgiveness of sins that he came to bring. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't know that I've really given my heart to Jesus, but I, I desire to do that today. If that's you, just lift your hand up and nobody's looking around and I'll see that hand and I'd be honored just to pray with you here today and say, I, I want to give you my heart, Jesus. I want you to take my battles. Let's pray this prayer together. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you today. Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you came to this earth to make a difference. 
I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Make my life what you want it to be. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were raised from the dead to give me new life. I receive you, Jesus. Now just talk to him from your own heart. Take a moment and, and just commune with him. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to stand up together. As we stand together, I want to ask you this question. What battle are you facing right now? What battle are you facing right now? Because we're going to give that to God. Because Jesus, the God that we serve, wants to fight that battle. He wants to take that battle. The battle is the Lord's. But you need to be willing to give it to him. You need to be willing to release it to him and acknowledge, Lord, you've got this one. You've got this one. Hallelujah. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, take this battle. I acknowledge that you have this one. I commit it to you. I release it to you in Jesus' name. Now, Father, we do pray that you help us, that you strengthen us even in the midst of the battle. And, Father, we will worship you. We will praise you knowing that you've given us the victory. In Jesus' name, Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearerefuge.net.